Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Uh, thank you for the bottom of our hearts for all of the followers and listeners that we have. Um, we're slowly figuring out uh, Instagram. Um, Julie tries to censor what I try to post. Um, I just kind of go free format and put things out, out there. But um, truly a pleasure uh, that you guys have embraced us and invited us into your lives. And I was able to actually read some of the comments today and completely humbled by how much um, – what apparently positive impact that we are having on people across the globe and that um, you guys are re- recognizing our, our, our passion, our mission, our drive, uh, because this is something that uh, I kind of live, eat, breathe, um, psychology, psychiatry, mental health every day. And for the grace of God, I never feel as much as I do work. I never feel like I am working. Uh, so a heartfelt thank you to everyone. Um, so I'll give you the contact information, uh, how to get a hold of me at the end of the episode, like I always do. So today we're going to talk about sleep, uh, which is a really important aspect in mental health. And I was getting the, my MacBook out of our library and, um, I walked past one of the bookshelves. I saw Interpretation of Dreams by Sigmund Freud, a classic book. And those of you guys who follow us on a regular basis, I am in no way a Freudian or an advocate or believer in the subconscious or unconscious, uh, much more cognitive behavioral, rationally motive. Uh, But I just thought, okay, maybe we'll do sleep because sleep is really uh, an under-focused area of mental health. Now, a lot of this episode, probably if Julie jumps in, this is going to be do as I say, not as I do. So the research has consistently shown that the terminology is called sleep hygiene. Uh, and I think our sleeping patterns have become significantly worse as, as technology advances, um, you know, the research has shown, you know, 90 minutes prior to bedtime, all electronic stimulation should be disengaged. Now, you guys know if you're parents out there and you have kids, this is really hard to do, trying to take their iPhone or their Android um, or take get them off the video games. But, you know, as, sleep is really a, is, is a ritual. It is something that should be, uh, you're looking forward to it. It should be something as systematic as getting up in like your morning routine for work, whether you have your coffee or your cereal or oatmeal or whatever your daily routine is. We all have our routines. Mine is I get up, I get on the Peloton, I take a shower, uh, I grab the protein shake that Julie made, and I'm out the door to work. Um, but it, And that, that's pretty consistent. Uh, why we don't have good rituals at night, I'm not sure. But I think if I had a guess, I would go back to what I said, that technology really has influenced us and, and, and negatively impacted us, whether that's Netflix, Hulu, uh, Amazon Prime. And again, the do as I say, not as I do, Julie and I are looking at each other like 10, 11 o'clock at night, like ready to go to bed, and we shut the TV off. So again, I am totally in this group, <laughs> and sometimes doing this type of work, it's a lot easier to, uh, you know, tell people what to do, and <laughs> you don't always apply it to yourself. Um so sleep uh, can be, you know, when I ask when I ask questions about sleep, um, 
I usually ask, like, um, give me a word to describe your sleep. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it up, down, inconsistent, broken, choppy? Like the overall quality of your sleep. Uh, then I'll ask about any history of difficulty breathing, like obstructive sleep apnea, and whether or not a person has had uh, uses a CPAP or a BiPAP if they have been diagnosed with um, sleep apnea. History of nightmares. And nightmares, in my perspective, are... Um, I really, and again, this is my perspective. I focus on if there's a recurring dream, that's what I'm more interested in because there's there's some kind of thematic imagery uh, versus just random nightmares. And nightmares can be incredibly debilitating, not only for the individual, but even for their bed partner, uh, especially when you get into night terrors where these violent dreams, someone's acting out. And the interesting thing about dreams is when I was an undergrad, I worked. Um, you know, University of Illinois in, in the sleep clinic scoring um, sleep study records. Uh, and sleep studies are called a, a polysomnography. Uh, you hooked up to EEGs and uh, working with a, a, a sleep specialist doctor and, and psychologist. It was fascinating that when I was scoring this, you, you would be able to see when REM sleep occurs and that's where dreaming happens. Seven to 11 seconds is how long a dream lasts. And that, you know, if, for those of us who've, who've had a bad dream or a nightmare, it, it could seem like you're in the, it going on in this wild Dr. Seuss beats uh, Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. And, it, and it, it can, you can wake up almost feeling like, oh, my God, I can't believe that was real. Um, so uh, let's see what else is. Uh, so nightmares, night terrors, uh, sleep paralysis. Uh, so sleep paralysis, where you're kind of caught between being in a dream state and your body's physically paralyzed and you person can't move. And people who've, who've experienced this, are, they know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this. Like, oh, yeah, that, that really, really freaks me out. Um, sleepwalking. I remember once as a child, we were in Ocala, Florida, about to go to Disney World. And we were staying at a hotel. I remember this like, like it was yesterday. It must have been like seven or nine uh maybe 12 i don't know but i remember walking out of the hotel room in the middle of the night towards the pool and it was my my middle brother's uh girlfriend at the time who was traveling with us who stopped me and i was so disoriented i had no idea um what was what was going on but i, I remember it uh jesus i remember it um distinctly as a kid um, so sleepwalking can be very dangerous. A lot of times people engage, especially if they're like making macaroni and cheese at night and, you know, they're, they're asleep and it's hard to get somebody who, who sleepwalks out of, out of that state. It can be, and again, depending on what the behaviors they're engaging in, are they running down the street? Are they, um, putting themselves in compromising positions, really, really important stuff to kind of really figure out and definitely want to be, you know, if you have any history of sleepwalking or any, any of these sleep disorders, you definitely want to go see a sleep specialist. Um, insomnia. Now, insomnia is really, uh, I'll ask a lot of people, any history of insomnia? Yeah, okay, so insomnia is really uh, physically unable to sleep for several days despite desperately trying to sleep. And this is an important segue when, you're, when I'm trying to... Uh, delineate a possibility of bipolarity. Uh, so in, insomnia is a physical inability to sleep, but a desire to sleep. In, in bipolarity, in mania and hypomania, it's a decreased need for sleep. It's sleeping for three hours and not sleeping for several days, during which time excessive amounts of energy 
feelings of grandiosity, feelings of euphoria. And I spend a lot of time with people because when people are very depressed, and again, this is why it's so crucial to get neuropsych evals, is, is, you know, unipolar depression is very different than bipolar depression. The bipolar depression is, tends to be much more severe. And in terms of the classes of medications, um, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're medicating somebody with, with an antidepressant and they have bipolar, it's going to push them into mania. So it's really important if you guys are clinicians out there to really de- try to delineate and, and really get as much detail as you can about, is this a distinct transition into an alternative mood state where there is no desire to sleep? And you, you, you'll you find there'll be a lot of what's called psychomotor acceleration or hyperconnectivity, um, psychomotor agitation. Not so much in insomnia. It could get to that point because the person just just wants to sleep. And I think I read somewhere, again, please don't quote me on this, but I think I remember reading this or learning this in school. I think the longest somebody could stay awake is six hours before they enter into psychosis. I'm almost positive I remember that. Six hours? Uh, six days. Sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> but you're chopping over there. So I'll throw my timing off. Blame. Blame. Um... All right, so we got insomnia, and then something called hypersomnolence. This is, or, or, or prolonged non-restorative sleep or sleep inertia. This is really when an individual is getting eight to nine hours of sleep at night, but they're never feeling rested. Uh, sometimes it could be at... at, at uh, it could be related to maybe the substance use. Sometimes it could be related to medication side effects. Um, but you know, the person will, will report, I, I, I sleep. My sleep is not disturbed. It's not rest. It's not, it's not fitful, but for some reason, I I I just I'm always tired. Uh, narcolepsy. That's really you know it's a very serious medical condition. It's going from a state of complete wakefulness to falling asleep right in the middle of a conversation. Uh, at least in the United States, if you're diagnosed with narcolepsy, you you can't drive a car for obvious reasons. Um, so, and then the, then we get into. Uh, then, I, like I mentioned, like a polysomnography, which is um, sleep studies, and sleep studies are much, much. They have at-home ones, but the ones you do actually go into the hospital, spend the night, they observe you for a variety of sleep disorders, including restless leg syndrome. A lot of times, with restless leg syndrome, we kind of diagnose it if they have a bed partner and one of them sleeping on the couch and it's annoying the other person. So, then we get into the whole area of like when when, when sleep is so disruptive, um, you know, I, I tell people like sleep should, as I was saying earlier, sleep really should be a ritual, uh, from the from the linen or the, or the type of cloth that you have on your bed, to the lighting in, in your bedroom or wherever you sleep. Uh, to the smell, lavender is great for sleep from a, from a non-pharmacological perspective. Uh, chamomile as well. Um, sleepy time tea, you know. So it's really it, it's really a ritual of getting the body into a state of beginning to relax. And um, you know, you can work with your therapist on this if you if you're having difficulty or trouble sleeping because it, it's hard to do on on on, on, on your own. I think, uh, but to have kind of a structured approach uh, in terms of Entering into this next phase of the end of the day, and it, it can become even more problematic. Now, my, my brothers, being police officers back in Chicago, have worked the midnight shift for the vast majority of their careers, and we are not nocturnal individuals. We are not designed to be nocturnal, uh, so we're really going against our own physiology, and a lot of issues and 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 and, and decreased sleep can lead to agitation, can lead to anxiety, could lead to depression. Um, you know, and it, it's something to definitely be mindful of, and I think it's something we, we really underestimate the, the impact it could have uh, on functioning. 
And then we get into the whole issue of, of like substance use. Some some people will use, say, well, I, you know, I need marijuana to go to sleep at night. Okay, and again, not a judgment call, but if you're using marijuana to sleep at night, it, it it's a, it's a suppressant. Okay, and if you have like small children in your home and and a, a smoke detector goes off, your motor skills, your psychomotor abilities, your visual acuity could be impaired depending how much you smoke. So people have reported like, you know, marijuana really helps me sleep, really helps me to relax and wind down. Again, not a judgment call, but just be aware of the other possible negative consequences that that putting a non-prescribed substance in your body could do. Um, same, same with, same with alcohol, um, same with over the counter, um, cough medicines, uh, melatonin is, is a popular medication. I mean, I don't know if Julie's going to jump on and talk about it, but a lot of people do report issues with sleep and, and, and some of these medications can be incredibly addicting, um, you know, and they could also impair, you know, functioning earlier in the day, uh, when you wake up in the morning. And, you know, so having a consistent sleep-wake cycle is really crucial. Not whether you're struggling with a mental health disorder or you're, you're raising your children. Um, again, try to limit the amount of time uh, technology is infiltrating you because people say, oh, I lay in bed and... Um, I play my crossword puzzles, or I, I I fall asleep watching a TikTok, and then I'll look at the one assessment I'll give, and I and you know, they enter like what time that they go to bed at night, and then what time they wake up, and how many hours of, of uninterrupted sleep they get, and sometimes even kids are they're they're reporting four hours of sleep, and they're telling me what they're doing during this time. They're on their computer, they're on their iPads, they're on their you know again TikTok, Instagram, all this stuff. Uh, so it, it, it technology for, for all the th- good things that it does have, it, it also, you know, the brain can only handle so much stimulation. Um, and it's really in the area of the orbital prefrontal cortex is what kind of, really what separates humans from a lot of different species. But it's the area that makes us distinctly human. And it's something that, you know, the brain can only filter out so much stuff. And especially if there's a family history of schizophrenia, a family history of psychosis or bipolarity. I've talked about this, the diathesis stress model, the interaction of genes and the interaction of uh, environmental factors. Uh, you think, you know, how, well, how could TV be bad? It could be bad if it's, if it's in excess, uh, just like most things, um, or playing your game on the phone. And, and I, yeah, the, well, the, the reticular activating system is, is, is what keeps us up awake, that this kind of maintains our circadian rhythms. Um, but when we're not giving the reticular activating system and the brain in and of itself a pause from the influx of information that someone, you know, that, that is in pouring into an individual, it will, in many cases, lead to a variety, it could be a diagnosable mental health condition, it could just be an irritable mood. Think about if you just didn't, didn't get a good, good night's sleep, you crank in the morning, you know, if you're kind of person that, you know, you can't, you know, don't talk to me until I have my coffee, this kind of stuff can really impact your, your relationships. You know, who wants to live next, you know, with a grumpy, angry person all the time? But to, but to really get into a sleep hygiene cycle, it should be, um, and, I, and I have worked with people in helping them kind of design, you know, go to, go to the store, buy a perfect, you know, we like satin or cotton or linen, whatever, pillows, bedding, bath time, candles. It really should be ritualistic. And then sometimes you get to a place where you need to see someone like Julie or uh, your primary care and get on a medication for sleep. 
um, especially if it's if it's chronically impacting your life and you're noticing, you know, problems in your relationships, uh, whether that's depression or irritability or anxiety, whether that's maybe you're late for work because you're not getting a good night's sleep, and then you start to get in trouble. Um, and then you may lose your job, and so a lot of a lot of things can really come out of a disordered sleeping pattern. So, Julie, do you want to talk about some of the meds that you commonly use? Sure. That's so we can we can all we can all take a pause in the chopping for a second. Well, you can finish chopping the onion if you want. It makes me cry. Hi, guys. Um, yeah, I think I'm just listening. As you know, I'm always in the kitchen doing something. So, um, yeah, sleep is uh, sleep is really so important and such a broad subject. Um, cut the onion. Um, we're I'm making chicken pot pie tonight. So first, wish me luck. Um, so I think Core covered a lot of different types of sleep disorders. Um, I, I know sleepwalking. I know I I slept walk as a child my parents told me that I peed in the laundry basket in their bedroom Ugh. which is <laughs> which I'm like oh okay I haven't done that since by the way so um but anyway uh, I deal with a lot of uh, first of all I myself have struggled on and off with insomnia in my lifetime um Definitely when the stress level was higher for me, uh, especially, you know, um, busy work week and, you know, having, um, you know, maybe a bevy of uh, very challenging clients or situations that, you know, you don't, you don't stop worrying about your clients. Um, but, you know, just kind of like very difficult to shut the brain off at night. And that's one of the most common phrases I hear from people. It's like, I... I'm exhausted. Uh, even like, for example, someone could work out. I went to the gym. I worked all day. Then I went to the gym and I came home and I was exhausted, but I couldn't get to sleep. Um, then there's the person who is like, you know, the little chicken, little worry wart who is very, very busy, busy, busy. But then once their head hits the pillow, that's when the movies, that's when the movie screen turns on. And that's when our mind is just kind of, we're not distracted anymore. It's a quiet time. So all the white noise of our, our mind comes up and just keeping in mind, you know, trying to figure out, is this something real that I'm worrying about? Um, is this something that's I'm worrying about so much? This is something that I should be worrying about. And, um, how do I get rest? Um, it's very important to have rest. Like I tell all my clients, if you're not sleeping, you're off the rails. So sleep is absolutely one of the most important things we treat in psychiatry. And, um, I treat a lot of people currently with uh, sleep disorders. Um, you know, there's a whole different, very, there's all different reasons why people have insomnia. There are people who like women in menopause definitely go through phases of disrupted sleep. Um, and that's pretty much related to hormonal levels and all that. I'm not, a, um, I'm that I'm not going to get into all the, um, the science of that, but, um, that's a very real, side effect or not side effect, but a, a symptom of menopause. And it can make people feel way off the rails. Um, 
sometimes, you know, usually it's anxiety, but it's not always. Anxiety is an easy, easy, you know, target because anxiety is what we're worrying. It's hard for our mind to be rested. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, with bipolarity or um, schizoaffective disorder, which is, you know, a kind of a bipolar bipolar component to that um, disorder, um, you know, where people are revving. Um, it's a very different when you, we talk about mania, when you when you see it in practice, it's hard to forget. Um, you know, Coors talked about previously working on inpatient units or running an inpatient unit in Chicago. I've seen mania in uh, outpatient treatment, inpatient treatment, um, and partial day treatment as well. Um, mania is really just when someone's revving and it goes on for days and they just, they don't need rest. I mean, they do need rest, but they don't feel like they need rest. They're not, they're not exhausted. They're too busy revving because of the energy, which we've talked about in the bipolar episode, where it's more like your brain's having mood seizures and it's all chemical. It has nothing to do with rhyme or reason. Um, so it's really just like when I say it's like a the manic, it's a drive. It's a it's like its own entity that's just pushing somebody to do this, do that, do this, do that, but without any sleep. Um, these people, you, you, you just like, you think, my God, how are we going to get this, this person to rest? Um, usually the manic episodes end, you know, there's always a beginning and middle and an end to those things. So, um, and that subsequently and unfortunately leads to a very big drop into the depression, depression, depressive episode, which is like Corey said, usually much more severe than regular, um, you know, depression that you see on a, you know, on a, with most, oh, sorry, I saw something outside. Okay, so, so back to the basics with that. So let's say we have somebody who's, and again, I'm not treating anybody, I'm just telling people what I know, and I'm sharing my knowledge thus far. I'm going to talk about different types of um, insomnia, and then I will talk about what people can ask their providers for if the shoe fits, if it's not contraindicated in any medical condition or age group or gender or, you know, whatever. I mean, sometimes there's there's real, very real reasons why not to take a sleep medicine. Um, a lot of times with the elderly, because they don't absorb medications because of the lack of um, the lack of fat um, absorption and muscle absorption, um, and just the basic density, uh, they're not able to. They they need to, their dosage in the elderly is usually cut in half. A basic therapeutic dose, like for example, trazodone is a big a big sleep medication we use all the time. It's technically an antidepressant, but it also treats anxiety. Um, they use it for anxiety a lot to kind of help people not to take benzodiazepines, which I'll talk about too. So with trazodone, um, if you are an elderly person, they'll cut that dose in half. So for example, trazodone for, you know, uh, I'll just say an adult, um, you know, normal height and weight, uh, whatever that is, but just, you know, a regular kind of healthy person coming in who's not sleeping, you would start them on 50 milligrams 
you might go to, you know, 75 or 100, and it can go up to 200, um, typically, um, to treat insomnia. Um, the benefits of that is if someone's depressed, it can kill two birds with one stone. If they're anxious, it can possibly kill three birds with one stone. And I use that expression in my practice all the time, because as everyone knows, probably by now, especially in practice, I'm a very conservative prescriber. And I've learned in my journey as a prescriber and also in mental health that Um, I'm a big believer in uh, educating people about the medications that they take, why they take them, and getting rid of the ones that they don't need. So um, that's a whole other program. But this, so for example, so with the elderly, you're cutting a therapeutic dose in half, basically. So if you're an elderly person and you're listening to this, if you talk to your doctor, so primary cares are great if they're willing to help, and most of them are. They're, they're great. Um, they're not specialized in it, just like I'm not specialized in, you know, blood pressure, diabetes, and all the other things that I can't treat. Um, but the dosage sometimes can spook doctors that aren't in practice. Like, for example, we in our practice aren't as afraid to increase the dosage of medicine. We know what the therapeutic dosages are and how to go about getting those on board with a client who is suffering from insomnia. So I'll say trazodone is one of the biggest and the most popular. And usually you'll find that primary cares do. And only I'm not suggesting that your primary care will do this. I'm just saying many will. Um, I've seen it in practice. So that's something if you're having difficulty sleeping and you have are very clearly not bipolar, um, you definitely, and I don't say bipolar as in this is who you are, but just you don't have that condition. Um, because antidepressants, as we talked about, usually just the SSRIs and the SNRIs will tip somebody over into mania or feeling suicidal. Um, if they don't have a mood stabilizer on board and if their bipolarity is not being treated properly. So that's, that's just that, you know, I, I think most of the public knows about this. I think it's been, there's documentaries on it. There's movies about it, blah, blah, blah. It's all over the news, um, probably all over YouTube. Um, certainly has been written about it. Um, so that's been going on for decades at this point. So, so the second medication that I usually will grab, now this is for these trazodone. I like mirtazapine. It's also called Remeron. It's a wonderful medicine because it treats anxiety, depression, and insomnia. It is dosed pretty low and slow. We start at 7.5 milligrams at night. I have some people who can't even take that because they feel, you know, sluggish the next morning. It all depends on your metabolism. It all depends on if you're a rapid metabolizer, an intermediate metabolizer, or a slow metabolizer. That means that your liver is it's all about the liver and the CYP450 enzymes. So these are the, the, this is what the genetic testing is for. So we do a lot of the genetic testing um, when we're concerned about somebody's metabolization of medication. Um, so I, I, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. I'm saying a lot to you and at you. I don't mean to, but definitely ask questions. Um, I'm happy to help. Again, I'm just trying to teach you about what's out there and what I actually use and what my colleagues use because I have many colleagues close to me 
that we all work together, we share ideas, we're supportive for each, uh, with each other, and none of us are in it alone. So it's very important that you have colleagues to check with about things. Um, so, and the mirtazapine is great because if someone's depressed, and I have had people who have had depression, or maybe they're on a little bit of Prozac, or they've maxed on the Prozac, but they're still depressed, and they're not sleeping, mirtazapine's a great fit because if they're anxious also, it helps with anxiety, helps with sleep, um, and helps with depressed mood. So three of those, again, three birds with one stone, just like the trazodone. Um, and that only means is it, it doesn't agree with you. There are people who take these medicines and they have the opposite effect. So you just never know. Meds are a crapshoot. Meds are a crapshoot even if you've had neuropsych testing because nobody can test the brain chemistry. We don't have toolkits for that. We're not drilling into people's heads and taking out a sample of brain fluid for this stuff. And, you know, we don't know how people are metabolizing things uh, via their liver and, in, you know, in their gut. So um, the other ones that we will use for, like, I'm just going to move over for a second. Historically, people, and right now, we're kind of on a track where we're trying to retreat from the benzodiazepine use for sleep. Um, it is strictly an anxiolytic medication. Um, it is very highly addictive. People have a horrible time coming off of them. We try to avoid them at all costs at this point, but there was a trend for a very long time where people were prescribed these medicines just like barbiturates back in the day where benzodiazepines which were not actually um, because of the opiate ep uh, epidemic they you know many um, coroners found traces of benzodiazepines in with opioid use um, and that can be uh, that 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 stops the respiratory system. So it, it suppresses the respiratory system and it can cause death. So that's why another reason why people are backing off from benzo use because we don't know if someone's actually taking a pain med. You don't know if someone's going to need a pain med and if they're on benzos all day long or even at night for bed. Eventually it's not going to be enough and you're going to need to go higher and higher and it just reach, reaches a plateau. It's like alcohol. It's dry alcohol. That's what it is. So if someone's an alcoholic and they're in recovery, don't take benzos because it's dry alcohol. So I teach people all that, that all the time. So, but do they work? Yeah, but they pretty much work like alcohol. So they're going to knock you out for a little bit, but you're going to wake up. Some people will sleep all night, but you'll wake up and then you'll be wide awake. <laughs> and um, anyway, so I go on. But um, that's those, you know, we use Vistral. Vistral is hydroxazine. That's like an amped up Benadryl. That's a very popular one that we use all the time for people who don't want, who really don't need the mood component part of it, that maybe they're not, they're just straight up not sleeping, but they're not off the rails. Um, and, you know, usually Benadryl will kind of make them very drowsy. So that's usually a good, you know, dosage dependent. Um, you know, because people, as much as they want to sleep, they complain about nightmares once they sleep, and then they complain because they feel groggy in the morning. And again, that comes down to dosage. So sometimes you can, if you feel like you got the right medicine, but, you know, play, have you talk to your provider about, you know, just exploring different ways and different um, dosages. Um, it, the bipolarity part, that's, it's very interesting. 
if you if we have somebody who's really manic, and I, I say this like I'm not treating mania, full-blown mania, because I'm not working in a hospital. But if I do have somebody who's manic, um, I'm going to put them on something that's going to knock the mania out. So typically, and it's not a popular medicine, um, olanzapine is Iprexa. That's pretty severe. We use that for schizophrenia. Um, it's an atypical antipsychotic. Uh, it causes sedation, causes a lot of weight gain, um, and it's a pesky medicine. But what I find a lot of, many times, is if someone is, is, in, is has insomnia, is in mania, or even if they're psychotic, they'll put someone on that while they're in an inpatient unit because it, it really kicks mania in the butt and it knocks people out so they go to sleep. Um, if someone's really unruly, I think, well, I think it's considered a, a chemical restraint. They used to use like Thorazine injections. I, I think they really don't use that much anymore unless it's like, I, I, I would imagine maybe in a state hospital if somebody's oh. really out of control um, or dangerous. But um, Thorazine's not, I, I would not say is an option at all. Um, so another one is Seroquel. Seroquel is quetiapine. Um, that's, I think, I believe that has some street value. Um, so, um, but most people who take it, take it responsibly. Um, Seroquel helps, helps to, uh, it's a very sedative medication and it's used in bipolar, uh, in treat, treating bipolar. Sometimes it's used by itself. Um, but usually it's used with like Depakote, which is Velproic acid, lithium, um, another mood stabilizer, Lamotrigine, or, you know, a couple of others, other mood stabilizers out there, um, in conjunction with an atypical antipsychotic to help someone who has a very difficult time with bipolarity to sleep. That's a good one. Again, dosage is important. You don't want to, oh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to go too high. You're going to not be able to get out of bed in the morning. But if you find the sweet spot on that, I, I know people who just couldn't sleep and that's the only thing that worked for them and they don't even have bipolar, but it seems to work. So that's a, and that's a, that's a tiny dose. I would be looking at like 25 milligrams for someone who just couldn't sleep. Um, but with bipolar, you can go up to sometimes 600, even higher on that medication. Usually it's an extended, that's the best fit typically. Um, if it's going to be a long-term relationship, again, these medications, some of them have very quirky side effects, which, um, you know, involve hyperlipidemia, which is high cholesterol. Uh, they, they increase blood sugar, which can lead to metabolic problems, um, and weight gain, another weight gainer. Um, so, and then, um, I want to say back to mirtazapine, which is Remeron, the weight gaining factor happens at 30 milligrams. It's the strangest, darndest thing, but it doesn't seem to occur at 7.5, 15 milligrams, but it does seem to cause weight gain at 30 milligrams and then not at 45. That's no, none of us understand that one. Um, but we talk about it as colleagues. It's kind of, it's kind of, um, peculiar, um, Latuda is lorazodone. It's an amazing medicine. I'm a huge fan of it. And I do not get paid by the company to say that. I think because it treats bipolar depression very, very well, doesn't necessarily treat mania. Um, Vralar is another atypical, newer antipsychotic that does treat more targets, more 
the bipolar mania piece. Um, and it's not terribly sedative. So, but Latuda, Latuda is very good for sleep. It's, it's, it's a somnolent sleep though. It's not a knock, knock you over kind of sleep. It's not a groggy sleep. It's like a, it's like a calm sleep. It's somnolent. People wake up feeling rested. Again, dosage specific. Because I will have somebody on 20 milligrams that's stable with bipolar depression, right? But if they can't sleep, I can go up on that medicine, maybe up to 40, because that's the next dose up. And maybe they'll get better sleep with a 40 milligram. And then we cover the bipolarity, the bipolar depression. If they tend to be more depressed than manic, that's a good way to go. And it also helps with sleep. Um, I could go on and on, but those, those, and I'm sure I'm forgetting things. I know that, um, and then of course, let's talk about marijuana. We live in the state of Massachusetts. Marijuana is legal. Okay. Edibles. People use edibles. People smoke marijuana. Usually it's the indigo, probably with CBD. And I don't, I'm not a pro. Believe me, I'm a novice at this. But the CBD, you don't want sativa or THC because that is, that makes me want to hide under my bed waiting for the police. But I'm just saying, sometimes I'm super happy if one of my clients can be on one less medication, but marijuana works for them when they're anxious and, and it works and everything's working. What difference does it make? That That's fine. Um, it's also legal in the state. So we can talk about it here. It's not always, you know, the best fit for everybody. Um, I'm certainly not talking about like, you know, a stoner. You know, you don't want to get it, it, but if it's for the sole purpose of a ritual before you go to sleep at night and knowing, I know a lot of people who do that. They just take a couple puffs of whatever it is that works for them and they're out. How great is that? I mean, I personally see that that is, if that's helpful, why not? Um, if it interacts with other medicines or they start complaining and then, then we have to take another look at it and sometimes we'll, we'll delete it from, um, the, uh, medication list. Um, the, and lastly, uh, melatonin, um, there's lots of products, melatonin, my God, it's dizzying. Um, I know a lot of people use equal, a lot of people use NyQuil. I've used NyQuil before. And when I couldn't sleep, I mean, I've used it, I've used a lot. I haven't even talked about the hypnotics. Um, but those are also used. The uh, Ambien, Zolpidem is one of them. Um, that's got a lot of black box warnings on it. So you can't prescribe it really to the elderly um, because of the fall risk. Um, and again, the dosage, because the regular therapeutic dosage is 5 milligrams to 10 milligrams. Then there's 7.5. Then you can go up to 12.5. And that's like the CR. That's the extended. And so there's a 7.5. But that medication is literally just a hypnotic. So it's knocking you out and it's targeting your sleep receptors and that's it, one and done. Again, a lot of black box warnings on that one. You probably heard the ambient stories. People get up, they cook, they don't even remember what they're doing. They get in the car, they drive, they could get into an accident. But mostly with the elderly, you're looking at, it's just never good to go there because of the absorption it's, it's less absorbed in the body and the dosage needs to be significantly smaller than the actual five milligrams. So that's what I'm trying to teach you. So um, all stuff, if you have questions, talk to your providers. Find a, find a psychiatric prescriber out there. If you can't find one, talk to your primary care about it. And 
honestly, a lot of research now is pointing out to uh, C- CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I get, and again, that's not my shtick, but um, there are a lot of um, research is pointing to that as also helpful with insomnia. Um, again, I'm just gleaning. There's so much more to it. Melatonin is out there for, you know, it comes in one milligram. This is the issue. Okay. This is what I found is the issue. Have you taken melatonin? Because why not? It's natural. We have natural melatonin in our body. Doesn't it make sense? Um, and so why not try it? Well, I did, but it didn't work. Okay. Well, do you know what dose you took? No. Okay. Well, because if you go into a pharmacy and you don't know what dosage you're looking for, it comes in one milligram, three milligram, five milligram, 10 milligram, and you're not supposed to go over 10, although some people do. So um, some of it's in gummy form. You know, I can't make a recommendation what, which brand to use. There's a lot of probably good brands out there, but sometimes people will try one milligram. They don't even know that they're taking it off the shelf as one milligram and that doesn't work. Well, one milligram rarely works for anybody. Um, but when I took melatonin, I had to take at least 10, right? 10. That, that's what worked for me. Um, but Corey took, can take three milligrams and it will knock him out for the entire night and he'll feel groggy in the morning. So again, it depends on how you metabolize medicines. Um, you know, I, warm milk, I was taught at Mass General when I was in school. Warm milk causes the body to to what turkey does to produce a tryptophan natural production of tryptophan warm milk with a little bit of cinnamon really people use this for sleep so you know again back to melatonin a little bit you know it depends on how you dose melatonin you know there are some providers out there that think you need to take it at like four o'clock in the afternoon or five o'clock in the afternoon in order for it to work. There are other people who say, okay, take it 30 minutes for an hour before bed. It depends on how it affects the person involved, the, the client involved. And again, three milligrams, don't go over 10. Sometimes people will take, buy a 10 milligram and they don't know what they're buying. They don't know the milligrams, not paying attention. So being mindful of that is also key because a lot of people will just toss that in the trash and not really, and you need guidance with this, right? So talk to your primary care. Um, I'm sure the pharmacists could be helpful. Pharmacists are great. They, you know, they like answering questions. Um, you know, not the text, they, they, they're helpful, but you know, the, the, they're pharmacologists now. They're doctors of pharmacology. So there's, they, they know what they're doing. Um, so, and that's what I tell everybody to do anyway, if they're ever concerned with an interaction with a medication, talk to the pharmacist because they are, they have access to everything. I mean, we can always look things up and, and find interactions, but that's a whole other program in and of itself. So I hope this was helpful, um, because it, it sucks not to be able to sleep. And I know myself, if I don't sleep, I am, I am not a happy camper the next day. So, um, I'm sure Corey can attest to that. Uh, I'm cranky and rightfully so. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, love you guys. Thank you guys. God bless you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Be well. And definitely, definitely text, email, 
don't send messages via Instagram. Don't DM us because we can't read them. I, I can sort of understand, but we, we're still not in the Stone Age. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So that, I think that was a great uh, segment from Julie's perspective because um, these medications are out there. And I would definitely, if you go in the, you know, non-prescribed route, definitely talk to the pharmacist. Um, sleep is, is crucial. It can definitely exacerbate mental health it, if, issues if they're already pre-existing. It could, like I said, impact relationship issues, impact job performance. So um, sleep hygiene, if it's something that you're struggling with, it's definitely, like Julie said, cognitive behavioral therapy is very effective in, in, in working with people on developing a very systematic, uh, just think of like what I said about your morning routine, you need an evening routine. And it will take time for the body to acclimate, but um, the, the long-term benefits, I think, certainly outweigh some of the frustrating things and discomfort that may come along with that. All right. So until next time, uh, feel free to reach out to me at psychologyunplugged at outlook.com. Uh, Psychology Today, you can get a hold of me. Uh, at Instagram is psychology underscore unplugged underscore uh, on Instagram. Um, again, our, our humblest uh, appreciation for allowing for you guys allowing us into your lives. And um, until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, be well, and we'll talk to you next week.